Christ, my bike. To be honest, it isn't one of our recordings if we don't have a cat on it at some point. Cat Barney. Yeah. It isn't interrupted by cat-on-cat action. Mm. Oh. Dear viewers, they uh, <laughs> they all hate each other. They don't, though. And, and Thursday hates everyone. Yeah, well, that's true. Mm. Now, if we're talking about positives, mm. trampoline party, positive. Ba-doing, ba-doing, bam-bam, ba-doing, ba-doing. No injuries. No, we all we all came away relatively unbroken. I did a front flip. Well done, you. I even landed one. I know, and the birthday boy did have a very good time. And it wasn't Joe. It wasn't Joe's party, but it I was think my he. Party. <laughs> and he'll cry if he wants to. No, um, I think. I think it was as much enjoyed by the adults as it was the children mm. all round. To be yeah. honest, and it doesn't be... like bouncing. They're my calves, my calves. Well, they may never recover. Hey up! I'm Joe Heathcote, and this is Consistently Eccentric, a British history podcast where we try to make sense of some of the lesser known and more absurd people and events these islands have produced. So let's get started with this story takes place in the 20th century. Victoria. Gosh. Go on then. Victoria Helen McFarlane was born on November 25th, 1897, mm. in the little town of Callender in Stirling, Scotland. I didn't know there was a place called Callender. Interesting. C A L L A N D E R. Though Callender grandly styles itself as the gateway to the Highlands. Oh, wow, does it? Yeah. On the cusp. I've got an interesting... <laughs> it's not cusp of the Highlands. Cusp of the Highlands. Gateway to the Highlands. Yeah. I've got an interesting uh, bit of knowledge. You know, my maiden name is Kay. I do. It well, came up at our wedding. It, it did. Well, you know, it's linked to the Mackays or Mackays, if you will. Right, yeah. They originate in the Scottish Highlands. Most of the clans do. Yeah, but also we have a great tartan. It's banging. Is it? Yeah. What, what colours are involved in this? It's this tartan uh, navy yours? blue and green. Mm. It's very much. It's a bit like the Black Watch tartan. Ooh. It's a bit like that. So yeah. Well, I'm sure the McFarlane clan equally have a tartan. Oh, probably. So the gateway to the Highlands calendar. Oh yes, but it was actually home to barely two thousand people, and it had been a village for most of its existence. Mm-hmm. But despite being small, it is a place with lots of history attached to it. A Neolithic settlement nearby was excavated in two thousand and one, and the longest Neolithic cairn in Britain, at over three hundred meters long, sits just to the east of the town. Yeah, the remains of Roman ramparts constructed during the campaigns of Agricola. Oh, who we covered back in episode sixty-four. Oh my goodness! Can also be seen at nearby Bowchassel Farm. Bowchassel Farm, right? Yeah. Now, young Victoria Helen was a mm. bit of a tomboy. Ah, oh, my kind of lass. She wasn't conforming to no gender stereotypes. Good. She didn't like wearing a dress. I don't. And instead, she liked nothing more than exploring the ancient sites and the local graveyards. Nice. Imagining the lives of the people who had lived and died in the centuries before she was born. Aww. And eventually, because being a tomboy, she was being shunned by most of the other little children mm-hmm. in Calendar. She started talking to some of the dead people. Well, just chatting to a grave. Sorry, that was a very big, loud gulp. Um, yeah, chatting to the grave. Imagining sort of like all the brave Highlanders who have fought battles. Having Aww. a chat to Rob Roy, all that kind of stuff. 
Well, what do you expect? I mean, if a child's left by itself, then they're yeah, going to make up friends. imaginary friends. Yeah. Well, her father, Archibald, he was too Archibald. busy. <laughs> what is wrong with the name Archibald McFarlane? Um, I bet you've got an Archibald in your past. Oh, probably. Probably. I think it's a banging name. Mm-hmm. It's not very, very uh, usual now, though, is it? Archibald. No, Archie. That's fine. It's a good, good name. Yeah. Well, Archie, he was too busy working as a slater to worry about his daughter's overactive imagination. He's like, ah, don't worry about it. She's just having fun. But her mother, Isabella, who was a strict Presbyterian, don't you know, was horrified that her daughter was claiming to be able to speak to the dead. Oh, the occult. The yakult. We're back to the the yakult. (laughs) Unfortunately, rather than tell her daughter it was her imagination and that it was impossible to speak to the dead... Mm. She decided to tell her young, impressionable daughter that talking to the dead was an evil thing to do, that it was the work of the devil, and that she would be sent straight to hell if she continued. Bloody hell, that's a bit strong, isn't it? How old is she? Um, This is when she was looking at um, primary school age. Oh, great. Six? Seven? Yeah, those kinds of ages. Oh, my God. The thing is, all that these grim warnings serve to do was to convince Victoria Helen McFarlane that her gift was real. Because... Yeah, absolutely. If your mum's frightened of it, then it's bound to be real because she's either going to tell her that it's an absolute load of rubbish and Mm. it's about time she got some proper friends if if you're that way out and very, very mean. Mm. Or you're going to tell her it's something to be feared and she will believe you. Oh, she, she did not just believe her. It it was a case of, ooh, you're saying it's taboo. Yeah. I mean, there, there's a rookie parenting mistake right there. Mm. You don't tell a kid something's taboo. Well, yeah, it's the only thing they want to do. She went to school and she started terrifying her classmates by <laughs> talking, having real-time talks to these spirits that she claimed were in the room. That's amazing. Uh, I love it. And she started doing different voices. And creating complicated backstories for the oh spirits God, that she's talking to. Oh my God, I'm living for it. Go on, yeah. go on. She was given the nickname Hellish Nell. Okay. Which she wore as a badge of honour. Despite, like or maybe because, of her mother's continued disapproval. <laughs> yeah. And it was one of those, Calendar was one of those places where everyone had a thing that they were known for. See, I just imagine it's the kind of place where everyone knows everyone else's business. Yeah. It's like there is no secrets in Calendar. It's like, you know, you go down to the shop and you know everyone in there and everyone's whispering and talking to each other about other people mm. because it's like everyone's got the snitch in everyone else's. And it's just... You could really create a persona for yourself just with uh, sheer willpower. For example, her yeah. older brother, Pate, Pate. Yeah. Is that is that definitely how it's said? That's how it was written in the book I read. Uh he wow. he was known as the swimming instructor of Calendar. Because what he used to do was grab six year old boys, throw them in the local pond, and then scream at them to swim. Wow. Terrifying. Oh, he wouldn't let them drown. If if they really weren't for swimming, he would go and collect them. But mm. rather than get a reputation as being, you know, a bully or a menace. Or a twat. Or a twat. He insisted <laughs> that what he was doing was helping these boys to swim. And eventually, people just accepted that that was how you learned to swim in calendar. At some point, wow. Pate was going to grab you. He was going to chuck you into a lake. And then you were just going to have to learn on the spot. Wow. It was that that kind of village. 
I mean, the the reason why most animals, if thrown into water, can swim is because they don't have the brain development to work out some different scenarios for that. And it's just it's just like a very, very kind of like inbuilt instinct in mm. them to do it. We've developed so far away from that that we do not have it anymore. Victims of our own neuroses. No, Absolutely. babies will. That's why you can take babies and you can submerse them and they won't start trying to breathe. No, they'll they'll hold the breath. But mm. it's... I wouldn't say a baby could swim, though. You know, you throw a cat in a, in a swimming pool, it's going to swim. Yeah, and then it it's going to... Then it's going to plot its revenge. Yeah, then it's going to, you know, kill you while you sleep. But, you know, you throw a baby in, it ain't going to survive. It ain't going to get out. Mm. Well, not without Pape eventually dragging it out. Yeah. Anyway, by the time Helen left school at 15 years old, mm. her mother had had enough of this. <laughs> In my head, I can hear her going, I've had just about enough of you. Just about enough. I can't take any more, Victoria. Yeah. She's like, she's known as Helen at this point. Oh, she's Helen. She's taken the name Helen. Okay, cool. But I imagine her mum still refers to her as Victoria. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, she suggested that... It might be good if, if she went and saw a bit more of the world. Right, uh, okay. And she said, oh, I've, I've found, a, you know, I've got a line on a mill job if you're interested, Helen, so you can start earning some money. It's in Dundee, which was 60 miles away on the East Coast. Yeah, she just wants rid of her. Well, maybe she wanted rid of her, or maybe she was like, well, she's she's coming up with all these stories because she's not actually got something to fill her time. Mm. If I send her to a big city with a you know long hour job like 14 hour shifts where's she going to have the time to come up with all these stories and stuff she'll knuckle down mm. hopefully find a husband mm-hmm. and she'll turn into a daughter i can be proud of a daughter you could be proud of she'll be proud of your children whether they achieve everything that you wish or achieve nothing that you wish because you should just be you should just be proud of them for who they are yeah Bear in mind, she she on, had an honestly held belief that her daughter was talking to emissaries of the devil. Yeah, but did she, though? Or did she just try and put the wind up her daughter by telling her it was real? real? I will never know. We'll never know. Spoiler, everyone in this story is now dead. <laughs> and I don't have the skills to talk to them. But I do. <laughs> well, unfortunately, she hadn't researched the sort of the atmosphere in Dundee at the time before sending her daughter there. Right. And all it achieved was that Helen added heavy drinking in disreputable pubs to her list of vices. Amazing. As she enjoyed her newfound freedom alongside the other teenage girls she lodged with in the ladies' hostel. Smash him. And of course, she was still regularly talking to ghosts and impressing her new friends with her ability to contact Aww, the dead. Has she got friend now? Is she with friends? friend? And even better, when she turned 16, do you know what she got as a sweet 16 present? Um, Nope. The ability to astral project so she could leave her physical body and her spirit could glide far and wide through the world to view things many miles away, which was nice. Do you believe in that? Helen did. That's good enough for me. Do I I believe people can astral project? Not sure. Don't think so. Jury's out. Everything was going great, though. You know, she's got loads of real friends. She's got loads of ghost friends. She's able to go anywhere in the world, Mm. just not physically. Then, in 1914, everything was ruined by the outbreak of World War I. Oh, oh dear. Many of the young local lads decided to enlist. 
and with money in their pockets and limited time before leaving, many of them looked for one last night of passion before they were shipped out to the continent and possible death. Nucky. Yeah, they were all looking to get their end away mm-hmm. with a fine Scottish lass one last time because who knew if or when they would ever be able to mm. come home to the welcoming pale, pale arms mm-hmm. of a Scottish woman. Mm-hmm. And we know that Helen Duncan, she provided comfort to at least one of these brave young Dundee boys uh-huh. as she became pregnant with a little girl. Oh. You can imagine this went down great with her mother. Oh, do you know what? I Screw her mother at this point. She's annoyed me. Well, she tried, tried to appease her mother by naming her little baby daughter after her. But unfortunately, little Izzy, or little oh. Bella, depending on what you prefer, yeah. was not enough to placate old puritanical Isabella. <sighs> she decreed... <laughs> My God, for soup. She decreed... <laughs> God damn it. That's how you know it's serious. <laughs> Absolutely. That her daughter could never return to Colander again. Says who? Well, that's the thing. I have no idea if she had the authority to make such a decree. Um, <laughs> you know, to essentially enact a banishment. Wow. But the harsh words were enough that Helen never did see her parents again. She never returned to Colander. Oh, p- poor dad. Mm. Oh, what, Archie? He's like... Where's Helen? You won't be seeing her again. I know. It's like this absolute cow of a mother. And I just imagine, I just imagine a bitch whip this little Archibald mm. into submission, and he's just got no say. And now he hasn't got a daughter anymore. He's just got you know Where's my the daughter? kiddie you drowner. Never had a daughter. Back up on the roof. Yeah, get back up up on that roof, and uh, you know you've got your kiddie drowner. What, what do you want? Now struggling as a single parent, Helen wondered if Izzy's father would ever return from the Western Front and seek her out. As her earnings decreased and her outgoings increased, Mm. she began to regularly astral project the front lines in France to see what was going on. Okay. One evening, Helen was hovering around when she noticed a sickly young 16-year-old struggling through the mud somewhere in Flanders. As she watched, he collapsed, too exhausted to continue. Helen decided to stay with this particular soldier and was relieved when a pair of stretcher bearers made their way to his limp body. Helen tried to tell him that everything would be all right and was surprised when the young man appeared to both hear and see her astral form. Before Helen retreated back to her physical body in Dundee, the soldier whispered, I like you. Amazing. Noxie, what are you doing climbing my chair? What are you doing? What are you doing? Stop it. I don't know. I like you. I like you. I mean, I don't know if that was the, you know, the inflection he used. A few months later, yeah. Helen's best friend introduced her to her brother. Mm-hmm. Who had just been sent home from the war due to the severity of the injuries he had sustained. No, shut up. It's not the blow. It was none other than the young soldier she had seen collapsing. <gasps> According to both Helen and the young soldier, his first words upon seeing her were, we meet at last. Oh my God, they, that's a bit... Na, 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 they both Twilight stuck zone. to that story their entire lives. Oh my God, I love it. Yes. The man's name was Henry Duncan. Helen and Henry got married on May 27th, 1916. And while the war raged on, they got busy making babies. More babies? What's, well, what's his earning potential? Uh, not very good. <laughs> oh, no. Don't go making babies with no earning potential. Um, 
Don't yeah. do it. The heart wants what it wants. Well. And sometimes what it wants is the hot dickens. In all, Helen would have another eight children over the next decade. Lord. Though only six of these would survive to adulthood. Oh, that's really sad. Also, at some point during these ten years, Bella lost an eye during a ferret attack. What? Yep, that's how. No, I need. A, I need a bigger sideline than she lost an eye to a ferret attack. How? What was the ferret doing near her eye? Right, and so, also, I always knew that they were evil little dicks. So Helen was going into labour again with, I think it was child six or seven. Oh blimey! And Isabella had to not be there, so they made the decision to mm. uh, have some babysitters. Right, uh, the babysitters owned ferrets and at some point while babysitting they weren't paying quite enough attention oh my and one of the ferrets bit her eye out yeah attacked her face rather severely and she lost an eye apparently after that she was a bit more of a sullen child before a ferret had tried to eat her face she was gay and fancy free and then afterwards could you, a bit more could you cynical. imagine handing our children to somebody who we thought we could trust and then coming back with one eye? How did it happen? Oh, well, she was savage or he was savaged by a ferret. I don't think I'd ever speak to that person ever again. There's no indication that she did. No, I wouldn't. They'd be dead to me. Henry. I'm shook. I'm not over it yet. Okay. You'll have to give me a minute. Henry believed in Helen's supernatural powers completely. And encouraged her to develop her skills further. Mm. Though, being a man in the early 20th century, he naturally felt that he was the person to train her to become a better psychic. Right. Despite having no inherent psychic skills himself. Okay. And knowing nothing of it, right? Now, what you want to do here, Helen? (laughs) Listen, Listen to me, I'm your husband. With six children and a husband, who was often too sick to work, money became progressively tighter. I bet it did. The family could never afford any more than the bare basics, and sometimes even less than that. There were times when Helen wouldn't eat. Because, you know, she couldn't couldn't withhold food from Henry. He was sickly, and she couldn't Mm. withhold food from the kids. So the the first person who had to go without was Helen herself. By the Christmas of 1925, things had gotten so bad that Helen found herself unable to afford any presents for her children or a bird for Christmas dinner. No, don't, don't. Christmas is my favourite and my best. Well, she was in the middle of explaining to her children... Oh, God, no, this is tragic! ...why they wouldn't be getting presents that year. When the front door burst open and a woman that Helen... Was it Tiny Tim? And a woman that Helen had helped by contacting her dead husband and son, came in with masses of gifts and food. Oh, my God. She thanked Helen again for allowing her to say goodbye properly to her loved ones. Wow. Henry Duncan, he noted that this service that his wife had provided had just been exchanged for goods Hmm. and wondered if there was a way that this arrangement could be formalised into a more sustainable income for the family than the pittance that Helen was currently earning working part-time in a bleach factory. Yeah, and a bit safer, I mm. would imagine, well, than working in a bleach factory. We'll find out. You know, during the Second World War, mm. was she one of the women who swapped factory working to making bombs? Uh, no, because she swapped in factory work in the 1920s. So she stopped working in factories in 1925. Right, okay. Because Henry found his answer on how to make some money out of, you know, Helen's gift mm. in the spiritualist movement. 
Right. This was a Victorian idea that stated that people could communicate with the dead via people, especially attuned to the spiritual realm, called mediums. Right. The only snag was that this movement had developed to the point that it was now expected that mediums would contact the dead, not as Helen did by talking to them directly, but by allowing themselves to become possessed by a spirit entity who would then be able to call yeah. any fellow spirits that the audience desired to talk to. Yeah, yeah. And understandably, at first, Helen was resistant to this idea. Yeah. She believed in her gifts completely and she did not like the idea of being possessed. Now, a bit like... um spirit guides yeah and yeah. stuff yeah yeah exactly like that although these were called spirit controllers okay what's um is is it a film or a tv show where somebody gets possessed and their spirit guide is a native american uh, i don't know okay you've never seen that i have seen that i'm sure i'm 99 percent sure i have seen a tv show or a film where that has definitely happened well helen was resistant to the idea at first is it ghost no, in Ghost, he's talking to his wife through Whoopi Goldberg. Oh, I don't know. I'll have to look it up, but I'm, I, anyway, there you go. Don't mind that tingling, by the way. That's just the cat banging her collar on the side of the dish. She's currently yammering up. God, we are such dinner. a tin pot operation at we times. Are. We are. <laughs> yeah. So she wasn't into it, but Henry, he wore her down. And she began her career as a medium in 1926. Wow. Unlike most mediums of the time, though, she was uneducated and spoke in a rough Highland brogue. Okay. This, of course, made her stand out from the crowd. Well, yeah. And soon she was in high demand as the rich, well-to-do people who would organise seances mm -hmm. as a form of evening entertainment loved nothing more than to exploit a poor person for their amusement. No, but also with with her kind of like very colloquial na way and nature, she would have come across to those of society as quite exotic something a bit different in a weird way yeah because in a, in a weird way because they wouldn't have come across someone like her no that's true they weren't all. meeting people like helen duncan no. in their day-to-day -day life no but they did exploit her oh. like seriously prior to each performance three men would be asked to closely examine a pair of knickers and a loose-fitting black dress to ensure that they did not contain any hidden pockets or similar Right. Meanwhile, three upper-class women would be asked to go to a separate room where they would find Helen Duncan completely naked. They would be asked to examine her closely to ensure that she was not hiding anything about her person before the clothes would be brought through so that they could watch her dress. For goodness sake. It brings a whole new meaning to the phrase, nothing up my sleeve, doesn't it? Um, yeah. Helen would then be escorted to a special stage called a cabinet, where she would fall into a trance to allow her spirit controller to take over. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons that people were so convinced by Helen was the difference between the rough-speaking, middle-aged Scotswoman and her controller. A posh Englishman called Albert, who appeared well-educated, had a quick wit, and alluded to the fact that he may be a homosexual. Oh my goodness. Mm. Most audiences agreed that Helen Duncan was simply too thick and unimaginative to have created a personality such as Albert. Wow. That was rude. <laughs> rude. Well, that was the selling point. It's like, come on, you know it's real. She couldn't have come up with this. Look at her. Look at her. Look at her over there smoking, naked. Country bumpkin. Yeah. And Albert himself played into this idea, often complaining to the audience that he'd been lumbered with Helen as a partner. Mm. He would call her thick, 
fat, simple, and a range of other insults during performances. Don't. It's getting Amber Heardy again. Aside from Albert, though, the other thing that drew people to the performances was the production of ectoplasm. Right. This, Albert explained, was the raw building material of all spiritual manifestations. Mm. And Helen would produce it from her mouth in long, snaking tendrils that seemed to hover and twist in the air. Ew. So it's this white, semi-translucent stuff that would start emerging... Spit. ...from from her mouth or from under the cabinet. No, I mean, really long. And according to audiences, it would twist into different shapes, like it would twist into the sign of the cross and stuff. That's so weird. Yeah. Well, it was definitely worth the entrance fee, as far as people were concerned. The money that Helen Duncan earned was enough for the family to buy a house in Edinburgh. Oh, gosh, yeah. And to live comfortably. Oh, that's good. Sure, it meant that Helen would come out of her trances, sat in front of a room full of upper-class couples, completely naked and covered in ectoplasm. But Helen considered that this was a fair trade so that her kids would have a good start in life. Why was she naked again? I thought she had a dress and knickers well, on. there were some occasions where people, for extra wow factor, would sew her up into like a sack um, and then they would challenge her spirit controller to extricate her from the sack. Right. And she'd be sat in this cabinet with the curtains closed and this sack would come flying out at the audience and when they inspected it, all of the knots would still be in situ. Right. And then they'd open the cabinet and there she'd be naked and covered in ectoplasm, coming out of a trance. Mm, nice. Mm. Did I mention that by this time she was already starting to become overweight and would eventually wow. go on to develop type 2 diabetes and really? barely be able to walk? Oh, my God. Well, she was still doing this performance. Wow. Okay. Yeah. By 1930, though, Helen's seances had been so successful that she started to attract attention from paranormal investigators. Hmm. Although she initially refused to undergo any experiments, refusing Mm. to be x-rayed or filmed with an infrared camera, Mm -hmm. eventually the Duncans were approached by an investigator called Harry Price, who was head of the National Laboratory of Psychical Research. Cyclical? Psychical. Psychical? Research. I'm not sure that's a word, but okay. Yes, but it sounds official, doesn't it? It I'm the head of the National Laboratory of Psychical Research, don't you know? Psychical. And he offered them £50 to be allowed to conduct seances with Helen under scientific conditions. Right. Money proved to be a powerful motivator, even though it was clearly against their self-interest. Yeah. Harry Price was quickly able to prove that the ectoplasm that had impressed so many people was just regurgitated cheesecloth or paper. Right. And this is a direct quote from his book on the subject. The sight of her half-dozen men, each with a pair of scissors, waiting for the word, was amusing. It came and we all jumped. One of the doctors got hold of the stuff and secured a piece. The medium screamed and the rest of the teleplasm went down her throat. This time it wasn't cheesecloth. It proved to be paper, soaked in white of egg, and folded into a flattened tube. Could anything be more infantile than a group of grown-up men wasting time, money and energy on the antics of a fat female crook? I don't know, could it? Well, with this apparently damning proof being reported in a chapter mm. of Price's book, leaves from a psychic's case... I can't even say the word, it's so stupid. Leaves from a psychist's case book in mm-hmm. 1933. Yeah. The Duncans had to admit that the ectoplasm was a trick. Okay. However, they continued to insist that Albert was real. Mm-hmm. It had just been a way of adding extra zhuzh to the performance. 
yeah, a bit of pizzazz, a bit of stage... Stagecraft, yeah. ...craft and, yeah. It's like, have, have you seen a David Copperfield performance? He doesn't just do the trick, does he? He no, wears tight I leather want pants. pizzazz yeah. is what I want. And she she couldn't wear the tight leather pants. She was... No, naked. Would, wouldn't have worked, yeah. <laughs> then in January of the same year, a sitter at one of Helen's seances in Edinburgh grabbed at one of the spirits who'd appeared called Peggy. Mm. She was a young Highland ghost who would often sing to the audience. Oh. But having grabbed at Peggy, she was shocked to discover that Peggy was actually made from a vest. She was basically a puppet. Oh, okay. A puppet Peggy. Because when I say these, these um, ghosts appeared, mm. yes, they, they were physically manifested. Oh, wow. They okay. would come out of the cabinet to speak. Okay. Helen was prosecuted for fraudulent mediumship which mm-hmm. is a crime. Yes. Uh, and fined £10. Okay, well, she's still up 40 yeah. quid, yeah, so she's all just right. lost the faith of that sweet, sweet Harry Price money. Yeah. The two revelations, though, they wrecked Helen's reputation in London. Oh, God, yes. And reduced her clientele in Edinburgh to a small core group of true believers yeah. who would not be sufficient to allow her to make a living wage if that was all she had. No. Helen needed a new population, somewhere where they may not have heard the stories about her, ready to embrace her talents. Okay. She found it in the south coast city of Portsmouth, home of the largest naval base in Britain. Okay. Because it turned out sailors and their families were particularly open to the ideas of spiritualism, with at least three heads of the Admiralty regularly attending seances and considering themselves to be spiritualists. They're very suspicious, Mm. sailors. Well, yeah. Yeah. When when you, you know that death could come for you at any time. Absolutely, yeah. You'll you'll do anything, mm. even if it's not in your power. You want to pretend like it is in yeah. those kinds of situations. I totally get it. Mm-hmm. So Helen, seeing this this city ripe for the pickings, began regularly undertaking the four hundred and sixteen mile journey from her home in Edinburgh oh, to work in Portsmouth. Those were now her two main sites. She did other seances here and there in other places, but mm. mainly she worked Edinburgh and she worked Portsmouth. Wow, I know. Some distance covered there. <laughs> and she'd learnt a little bit because these seances had a bit more security. Okay. Such as checking all audience members for torches and cameras before they were allowed entry. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of it worked. When she went on stage, it was one red lamp was lit. Mm-hmm. And the audience were expected to sit a certain distance and the cabinet curtains would be closed. So she'd be put in it, the curtains would be closed and the spirits would kind of poke through the cabinet, mm-hmm. through the curtains. So it was all very, very carefully stage managed. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Um, Henry Duncan would be in the back playing some low music. Yeah, yeah. To try I and imagine. cover up any, you know, rustly sounds or yeah. whatnot that might be coming. So it was all very um, considered the way it's, it was presented. Yeah, nicely produced. Yeah. Little stage show. Yeah. yeah. Get people. It was getting people in the mood to experience uh, the spiritual realm, mm. I like to think. It wasn't that she was trying to cover up how she, she conned people. It was... Well, but did she, did, But did she, though? Because, yes, in one respect, but did, did somebody out and out find out whether she actually had these gifts that she claimed to have or well, not? Well, she'd been studied um, scientifically and found to be fraudulent by Harry Price. But, yes, that is just one one person's scientific study and it mm. wasn't like he was doing it in the most strict scientific manner no and as far as far as you've just told me there was only it's only kind of like the stage stuff that mm. was found to be wrong 
Which was not what she wanted to be doing anyway. Which isn't what she wanted to be doing anyway. This was, so this was Henry's idea. It's not, deca- it's not discounting her gift. Well, anyway, over the next eight years, mm. having you know taken some more precautions, mm. Helen rebuilt her reputation as a trusted medium. And with the start of World War II in 1939, mm-hmm. she found her services in high demand as wives of sailors sought reassurance that their husbands had not died. Oh my God, there's a scary thought. So she would have women come in and say, my, my husband's on the such and such a boat. Can you mm. go and, can Albert go and check to make sure that he's not in the spiritual realm for me? Wow, okay. Mm. She's got to absolutely believe 110%. Before that, she gives that kind of Before she gives that, yeah. But the impact of World War Two on Helen Duncan's business wasn't all positive. It wasn't just increased ticket sales. No. On the 24th of May, 1941, at Mm. a seance in Edinburgh, Helen Spirit Controller Albert announced to the audience that a great British battleship had just sunk. One member of the audience just so happened to be a man called Brigadier Roy Firebrace. Excellent name. (laughs) Well, it needed to be an excellent name because he was the Chief of Military Intelligence for all of Scotland. I imagine he had a whapping moustache. Oh, definitely. Like he could clean the floor with that thing. Mm. Oh, yeah. And he was bald and wore a monocle. Yes. That's the way I see him. Yeah, absolutely. Well, he was perturbed by the announcement and he immediately rang the Admiralty to ask if any ships had gone down, but received assurances that, don't know what you're talking about. All good here, mate. Oh, God. Scottish intelligence. <laughs> Jesus. This was because the news had not yet arrived that the HMS Hood, the largest warship in the Royal Navy at the time, mm. had been sunk only a few hours earlier at 6am <gasps> in the morning while pursuing the Bismarck. All but three of the crew of 1,418 men had perished after the main magazine had exploded. Oh my, so she was right. All of the ammunition went up. Oh my the God. Three, the reason that so few people survived, even... You know, mm. even though that had happened was because there was an oil slick four foot deep around it. Oh, God. So people d- weren't falling into water. They were falling into burning oil. Mm. When the news finally did reach Brigadier Firebrace, it was from an official from the Admiralty Office demanding an explanation for how he had known about the sinking almost as soon as it had happened. Sheepishly, Firebrace told the story of Helen Duncan and her spirit controller. Right. Which is... Could you imagine? A difficult truth to have to birth. Could could you imagine that conversation? Your intelligence was spot on, man. How did you know? Ah, I got it. I got word from Albert. Who's Albert? He's a dead foppish dandy from London. Yes. I believe he was around in the 1700s. Oh, my God. Right. Though the Admiralty was sceptical about the ghost explanation, Mm. they did think it was worth opening a military intelligence file on Helen Duncan, just in case any other coincidences occurred. Wow. Okay. Because they were like, well, how did she get the information? She may be passing it off as her her medium, but we Mm. don't believe that. Mm. We don't believe it was her spirit controller at all. Yeah. But she's got it from somewhere. Yep. We need to know where the leak is. Mm. Suspicions that Helen may have been acting as a spy were only increased when they learned that the place that she conducted the majority of her seances outside of Edinburgh was Portsmouth, (laughs) meaning that she regularly travelled between two of the most important naval bases in the country. Oh, good grief. Yeah, where did she spend her time? 
two out of the four main naval yeah. bases that we have in the country. That's where she spends her time. Yeah. And she only doesn't go to Glasgow because they don't pay her enough. Yeah, that's true. They can't afford her fees over in the Clyde. Oh, no. God, no. On November 25th of the same year, a ship called the Barham was sunk in the Mediterranean. Mm. However, the Nazi U-boat that had fired that fateful torpedo didn't stick around to see that the magazine had caught fire and blown the ship into a thousand little pieces, right. killing over 800 men. The U-boat captain instead reported that it had managed to cause some slight damage, meaning that the Nazis assumed the Mediterranean convoy was still at full strength. Right. And the Allies decided it'd be a good idea to keep things that way. Yeah. So they began a cover-up operation. Ooh. They sent Christmas cards from the dead crew members to their families. Oh, you see, that's not on that. Continued to report the ship as part of the convoy in all correspondence, just in case it was intercepted by Nazi agents, mm. and made it clear to those involved in the cover-up that they could tell absolutely no one on pain of a long prison sentence for treason. God. A few days after the sinking, though, mm. Helen Duncan was giving a seance on Copner Road in Portsmouth, mm -hmm. less than two miles from the Royal Naval Base. During the seance, a sailor appeared to the audience in ghostly form, Ooh. wearing a hat marked HMS Barham. Mm. He hovered around a young woman in the audience and reportedly said, Sorry, sweetheart, my ship sank in the med. I've crossed over to the other side. Bye! <laughs> very matter-of-fact about it. Very matter-of-fact, yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure whether I wouldn't want a, a couple more comforting words from you if, you if that was the case, but yeah. I'll miss your lovely tits, bye! Yeah, something like that, you yeah. know. Again, this amazing... Knox. Good grief! Again, this amazing incident was reported to authorities. Though this time, it was to Portsmouth's chief constable, Constable West. Ooh. West was certain that Helen Duncan was getting information from confidential sources and was concerned that her attempts to prove her gift by disclosing state secrets might end up putting people in danger. Right. Who the hell would be giving information to her? Well, this is what they Constable she... West needs to find out. They think she's thick as shit. Oh, no, no. The people at the seances assume she's thick as shit. The military intelligence are going, well, she's getting all of this information from right, somewhere. Okay. Maybe this is all a cover. Oh, God. It's, yeah. Mm. Mm. Okay. Although, if she was a spy, why would she be disclosing it at a seance? Yeah, I know. It's just like, it doesn't add up, really. Well, no, they started looking at, like, who was attending the seance. Was there someone called, you know, Fritz Herbert? <laughs> or, yeah. It's like... You know, a way of um, giving information oh, to her you know, Nazi handler yeah. without it seeming weird. <laughs> Hair flick. Yeah. So they, they were coming up with all kinds of scenarios as to why Helen Duncan was disclosing state secrets and where she was getting them from. Yeah. But um, Constable West, he asked all of his officers to immediately report to him if Helen Duncan committed literally any crime within the boundaries of Portsmouth so that he could have an excuse to put her in custody. Okay. Because... This was, we're right on the cusp of the start of the blitz mm -hmm. and firebombing and all of those bad things. Yeah. And he's like, even if there's a one in a million chance that she is getting classified information and is mm. passing it over or is just sharing it where she shouldn't. Yeah. I don't want to be, um, you know, thinking that there was any more I could have done to save the people of Portsmouth. No. Or Britain. It took just over two years, but in January of 1944... A serviceman by the name of Stan Worth, mm. he was attending a seance 
and believe that one of the spirits produced, it looked a bit just like a sheet to him. Oh no, a bit floaty. Yeah, he was like, it's, if I didn't know any better, I'd say that wasn't a spirit, it was... A duvet. <laughs> duvet cover. <laughs> they wouldn't have duvet covers back then, but yeah. He reported this to West, who immediately ordered Detective Fred Ford to attend the next <clears throat> scheduled seance with instructions to get hold of that sheet by any means necessary. Wow. Get me that sheet. Good grief. Come on, Fred. Don't let me down. No, I mean, you've got one job to do, Fred. Don't, don't mess it up now, lad. West was relieved to finally have an excuse to get Helen off the streets, as, unbeknownst to the general public, the Navy were at that moment preparing for D-Day, which would take place on June 6th, 1944. Mm. In order to try and cover up the plan for a massive assault from Portsmouth, a number of decoy plans were being circulated in a bid to wrong-foot the Nazis into placing their forces on the wrong bit of coastline. Yeah. So British ships and American ships were literally sneaking into Portsmouth. Mm-hmm trying to not be detected we basically took our mediterranean navy mm. and moved it <clears> out <throat> of the med but tried to pretend yeah. like we hadn't and we were leaving sort of some ships in edinburgh and telling people that oh we're going to go and attack via uh, the scandinavian countries and come south yeah and other people were saying oh no no they're actually building up forces in the med mm. and other people were going oh no all the ones that are in portsmouth at the moment they're just refitting because they're going to go and help in the pacific theater Oh. So there was all this different information, mm. all of these conflicting stories being put out just in the hopes that the Nazis wouldn't concentrate all of their forces on a few beaches in Normandy. Yeah. You know, to try and improve the, the chances of the people who'd be landing. Absolutely. Is is now is now an appropriate time to birth what my dad told me about Winston Churchill? Um Okay, yeah, why not? It it depends. Is this a non sequitur? You're going to, Winston Churchill had webbed nostrils. No, well, it is a non sequitur, but never never mind. So, dad and mum went to Blenheim. Yes. um, Recently. And the only bit of information he came back and told me about this amazingly historical building Mm. was that Winston Churchill invented the romper suit. Ah, yes, he did. He, I remember him mentioning that. And uh, he he used to wear them over the top of his normal suits when he went down into bunkers during the Second World War and stuff. Yeah. And he had he had like a, ve- a crushed velvet one and he had a pinstripe one. But he actually developed like the idea of a baby's romper suit. He well, had a in Churchill many ways he romper. did look like a baby. So yeah, it, he it did. Works. He did. But there you go. There's my, there's my little bit of uh, passed on knowledge there. Anyway, back to D-Day preparations. Of course. Now, Chief Constable West, he was aware of what the real plan was and he was terrified that Helen Duncan might let slip that plan in a foolish attempt to prove her psychic prowess, potentially leading to the deaths of thousands. Well, yes. So he's like, one of two things could happen if she's on the streets. Yeah. Either A, she'll just spout it and it'll become common knowledge and the Mm -hmm. element of surprise will be gone, or even worse... She'll mention it at a seance where her German handler is. Yeah. And the Nazis will know our plans. Right, I'm not being funny, but instead of, like, actually going through all this ridiculous palaver, Mm. could they not just arrest her on suspicion? 
Yeah, but then and just make some shit up and keep her in for questioning and stuff. Yeah, but it's way back when. I mean, they didn't have the same rules they had now. The 40s. It's yeah. not way, way back when. There's still, you know, you've still got to follow due process. And also this theory wasn't sort of wide knowledge. For example, Winston Churchill wasn't aware that there may be a psychic spy on the loose. Yeah, but back in the 40s, I mean... Yeah, I, I still think they could have they could have detained her well, on something. They, they don't need to now because they've got the sheet. All yeah. they have to do yeah, is I, get I, hold I just, of that sheet. I don't think they need to go to these lengths. I think they could just go go and quietly bring her in for questioning. Yeah, but I think the other thing <clears> is, <throat> is to cover up the real motive for wanting her off the streets. If they can get her for fraudulent mediumship, mm. then they don't need to say, we suspect you of being a spy. And they can keep it all hush-hush. Right, okay. So Fred West... He followed his instructions. Fred West. Fred Ford. Because Fred West. So Fred Ford. Right. He attended the séance on January nineteenth, and halfway through the performance, when a spirit appeared, he sprang up, ready to grab the offending sheet as clear evidence of fraud. Uh huh. So he he watched all the preamble. He watched them, you know, put yeah. her in a, her outfit, put her in the cabinet, and as yeah. soon as Albert popped his little head round and said hello. Get me that sheet! Because it was him. He pounced. I imagine he just pounced. It was him and eight other officers. Oh, jeez. Right, okay. This is wasting police time. Right, I'm, not, I'm not being funny. Could they not just get her in, in this, you know, and the minute it, like, all started up, not just, like, slam and lock the doors and just rip it all down and say, right, it's a pile of shit? Well, he felt this was the easiest way because the sheet was literally being proffered through the curtains. Right. Unfortunately... He couldn't find the sheet anywhere. So he did lock the doors. Oh, my God. And he did turn the room upside down. Still couldn't find the sheet. He started threatening the audience members uh, to give him the sheet because he was sure that even though there'd been eight officers watching the audience, one of them had managed to sneak into the cabinet, take the sheet from Helen and hide it somewhere about their person in seconds. My God. But all of the audience members said... Nope, you can search me if you want. I don't have the sheet. And when he tried to take them up on the officer, the mainly female audience said, I'm sure you have a matron that you've brought with you to conduct mm. the female searches, haven't you? Mm. And turns out he hadn't. They were right. all blokes in there. Oh, God. So frustrated and probably a little embarrassed by this point. Yes. He decided to just arrest Helen on a minor charge of telling false fortunes. Okay. Which at least allowed him to take Helen to the police station to be processed. Why didn't he just do that in the first place? Well, that's because telling false fortunes, it's a very minor offence. You Mm. get a small fine and then you're back on the streets. There's no... Okay. It doesn't attract a prison sentence. So you can't get her off the streets on it. And Helen fully did expect that to happen, to be fined by a magistrate and sent on her way. But Chief West, determined to keep her off the streets by whatever means at his disposal, Mm. even ones which may not be strictly in accordance with the law, convinced the judge to place her on remand in Holloway Prison. Again, for telling false fortunes or, you know, suspected. Fibbing. Yeah. Fibbing. In remand in Holloway. Holloway for fibbing. Right. She spent four days in prison. Right. Despite the maximum penalty being a £10 fine. Jesus Christ. Then on the fourth day, a group of spiritualists paid her bail, which had been set at 100 quid. Wow. And provided her with a lawyer, Mr. Charles Lowesby. Lowesby. Mm. Very nice. 
if anything, this convinced West that Helen Duncan must be involved in some kind of spiritualist spy network. What is this blue con? They're in cahoots. No, I'm not being funny. I think he's having a breakdown. He's under a lot of pressure. Yeah, evidently. Yeah. He needs a holiday. Bear well, in know, mind. To retire. Like a year before the Portsmouth um, main police station had burnt down and he was working out of a private residence. Um, so yeah, he, he he probably does need a break and he's he's paranoid that something's going to go wrong with this plan. Right. Bless him. West was... Um, West was able to convince the director of public prosecutions and a judge by the ridiculous villain name of Grimwood Mears. <laughs> Sorry, that's not right. Sir Grimwood Mears. <laughs> Grimwood Mears. Oh my god. The names in this story are epic. I'm I'm living for these names. However, there is actually a kids story series for kind of like 6 to 8 year olds that has come out called Grimwood. Right. Well, they're probably based on this guy. They're not. They've got they're in, they've got foxes in it. So I don't think that's so. funny. He was he was famed for fox hunting. Was he a fox? Grimwood Mears, Sir Grimwood Mears. Mears, a fox. No, a fox hunter. He wouldn't be a fox, would he? We're putting a fox in the House of Lords, <laughs> <laughs> screaming there and shitting in a corner. <laughs> that's that's actually idea? what a fox sounds yeah. like. Wasn't our best idea to put the fox in the House of Lords. <laughs> It seemed a good idea at the time, but then we were all pissed. Well, he he managed to convince Sir Grimwood Mears that it was a matter of national security Just that Helen Duncan that Helen Duncan was sent to prison until at least the end of the year, despite only being charged with a misdemeanor. Mm. That mm. was why, when Helen Duncan appeared at court on February twenty ninth, nineteen forty four, she was charged with conjuration. Conjuration under the Witchcraft Act of seventeen thirty-five. Right, and I don't often swear on this, but fuck off. Yes, she was charged with conjuration under the Witchcraft Act of seventeen thirty-five, and amazingly, the trial, because this was, uh, you know, this did attract a custodial sentence of up to a year. Right, I'm not, I'm not being funny. I'm, this is, this is better than the Johnny Depp Amber Heard thing well, that I'm watching at the moment. This, this is. Actually, this ridiculous this witchcraft trial was to take place at the Old Bailey in London oh my God. on March 23rd. Oh my God! Her defence lawyer, Charles Lowsby, proposed that the court at the Old Bailey be made into a seance room. So oh my the, God, are they going to call Albert So as a the witness? jury could decide for themselves oh my how real Albert God. was. <laughs> I'm loving it! Oh my God. And this, we think, is why the spiritualists were paying for her bail. Because apparently when they heard that she was being charged under the Witchcraft Act and yeah. that she was going to be at the Old Bailey, they all started cheering mm. because that's what they wanted. Mm-hmm. She was just a pawn in the... Spiritualism was a big movement, a big organisation. And oh, they yeah. saw it as an opportunity to prove that they were genuine in a court of law. So Helen Duncan, they weren't trying to help her. They were helping themselves. Yeah. And it's probably at the point when they were cheering when they heard that she was going to a trial at the Old Bailey that she realised, oh no, these people aren't my friends. I am the sacrificial lamb here because they don't care what the outcome is. They're just excited that it's going to trial because that gives it an air of Mm -hmm. uh, respectability. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you don't argue with something unless you you feel like it's serious. Yeah, true. Yes. Uh, So are we going to get to speak to Albert? No, the judge refused to turn 
one of the courts at the Old Bailey into a seance room. Oh, I should definitely have called Albert as a witness. Mm. I'm very disappointed. Helen herself was bemused by the entire affair. She, at this point, still didn't know that she was suspected of having access to classified information. Right, yeah. And it's quite clear that when either A, Albert told her these things or spoke through her about these things Mm. because he was real and he knew about them, or B, things like a ship has sunk is something you can throw out in a seance. If it's true, everyone's going to give you credit. And there were Mm. a lot of Navy ships in a lot of dangerous places at that Mm -hmm, time. mm -hmm. And if it's not true, it's probably not the bit people are going to remember. So you kind of win either way. Yeah. And just putting out some hooks and seeing what, you know, Mm. what you catch. However, she would have been heartened to know that there were three full days of testimony coming from people who believed in Helen's gift and believed in Helen and who reported how reassuring and comforting their experiences with her and Albert had been. How they gained confidence and fortitude to carry on and try to live a better life despite facing some very dark times. And, you know, when you've got three days of people just coming into the Old Bailey and saying, Helen Duncan is a gifted Mm. medium, she is a good person and she Mm. has helped me, she Mm. must have been quite optimistic about her chances. Yeah, I'm not because history's not kind to women. So I'm I'm going to say she it, it didn't do her any good at all, but it will have done in some respects. It's just like because those people believed me. Mm. So, yeah. On March 31st, 1944, Helen Duncan was found guilty of witchcraft. Of course she was. And it was only during the sentencing that she was finally informed that the authorities had been watching her since her maybe predicting the sinking of the HMS Hood mm. three years earlier. Goodness sake. So it's only after she's been found guilty of this that she realises, oh, oh, you think I'm a spy. Mm. The sentence would have been passed on April 1st. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Great joke. But that was a Saturday. So instead it was passed on April 3rd. Mm. Helen Duncan was to serve nine months in prison. In Holloway? Yep. Oh, my God. While she was away, I mean, she did try to appeal. Mm. And that got delayed because the court got bombed. So Mm. they had to wait a couple of days until they could set up a sort of makeshift court in a bunker. Mm. So her appeal was heard in a bunker. uh, And they said, no, no, you're you're going back to Holloway now. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've been told it's very important you're in Holloway for a bit. Okay. And while she was away, D-Day went quite well. Mm-hmm. And with the Nazis on the run, Helen was allowed to go after nine months, as long as she promised not to do any more seances. Pinky swears. Yeah. Okay. Of course, y- you know, how's she going to make money? I don't know. I At mean... this point, she's approaching her 50s. She has worked as a medium for the last 20 years exclusively. She is overweight, she has diabetes, she struggles to move. Her husband is sickly and she still has an extended family to look after. And they're saying, that one thing you did that made you money. Yeah, but does that... Don't do that. Is that everything to do with that, though? Mm. Or is that, like... Well, seances is the thing that was making her money. No, I know, I know. But, like, you know, like, the big the big events what if you was what if somebody believed in you and you did it privately and it was a private exchange it's still a seance 
Anyway, she was arrested one last time for conducting a seance in 1956. Mm. Dying six weeks later. Oh, Helen. At the age of 59. She'd spent the intervening decade trying to keep a bit more low-key and to help as many of the unfort- uh, and help as many of the unfortunate people of Edinburgh as she could she bought uh, a house in the center of town mm. uh, and she would take in homeless people because she mm. had lots of spare rooms mm. um she would support um destitute women who had fallen so young women mm-hmm. with children yeah. especially she mm. would take them in she would find them work mm. um she went back mainly to just directly talking to the spirits that she still believed mm-hmm. that she was speaking to mm-hmm. and would offer people comfort in that way. Aww. So she, she went more low-key and she stayed up north in Scotland. Mm. But she did continue. I mean, Albert didn't get banished. Albert came out to play regularly with her. Yeah. And apparently after the whole witchcraft trial, and this is lovely, Albert became a bit more um, encouraging and a bit nicer about Helen I mean, he was still insulting her, but he was referring to her as like his rolly old girl mm. rather mm. than that fat piece of shit I'm, you know, having to mm. deal with. Mm-hmm. So he 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 improved in terms of his relationship. Aww. And she outlived um, Harry Price, the guy who tried to, uh, out, you know, out her as a fake, mm-hmm. who'd written all of his books. Yeah. He, he died Good. while writing a book. Uh, we, we will cover the subject of the book he was writing when he died, actually, in a future episode. Ooh, mm. that's very exciting. Oh, linky linkies. Helen Duncan yeah. goes down in history mm-hmm. as the last person convicted of witchcraft in the UK. Because while she was busy conducting her more mellow seances in Edinburgh in mm. her twilight years, yeah. The Witchcraft Act of 1735 was finally repealed Good. in 1951. Because it's ridiculous. Well, I, I'm not, it's, I'm not it's arguing with you. It was definitely ridiculous. Anti-feminist mm. and disgusting, quite frankly. Disgusting. Okay. Disgusting. Okay. Yeah. No, that's fine. But it's a shame that she's remembered only with that little factoid and not as a woman who genuinely tried to help people. Yeah, I'm 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 going to pass on her story now to lots of different people mm. and say that she was good egg. Is there a plaque in Edinburgh for her? I do not believe there is a plaque for um Helen Duncan. We'll have to look it up, but I don't think that she has a plaque. Is there a grave? Well, there will be a grave, yeah. She wasn't buried in an unmarked one. No, I know, but like where? It'll be in one of the churchyards of Edinburgh. Oh. You can you can go and find a grave. You'll be able to find her. Yeah. The source for this episode. Yeah. The Strange Case of Hellish Nell. The story of Helen Duncan and the witch trial of WW2. And I say WW2 because it was written by an American mm-hmm. called Nina Chandler. Oh. Not Chandler, Chandler. Chandler. And it is, it's a really well-researched and well-written book. And it mm. jumps about a bit. Mm. It's written more like a, a novel. Okay, than cool. pure history. And she does imagine some of the conversations that happened cool. but she did do her research she went to um you know find the public records mm-hmm. and in the forward she mentions the fact that when she was looking for records about mm-hmm. um helen duncan that some of the ones were sealed for a hundred years because they were considered national security and you may be thinking how was she able to read these documents if they were sealed for a hundred yeah. years in 1940s 
Well, apparently she went the first time and the people said, oh, I can't give you those. They've been sealed for 100 years. She went back again and tried to order them through the electronic system. And the guy who was doing the sort of um, pulling from the archives Mm -hmm. just didn't give a shit. So he just handed her something that said, you know, (gasps) national security. And she, she did a naughty and she opened it. I would have. And top of the pile was a letter from Winston Churchill to his home secretary. No. Signed in his own fair hand with his own Parkinson's bangers, which basically said, why the fuck are we wasting two weeks of the old Bailey's time on a witch trial? Thank you. I mean, I think that is the most interesting and and it's just like the best thing he's ever said i think i think that's the that's the most realistic thing that's ever come out of his mouth we're trying we at the war office are trying to plan a major counter-offensive in europe and you are wasting time you're dicking around with this woman who you think is a witch get your bloody brain in gear Mm. what you're doing but imagine that you go to research a little story like a throwaway story because it was like her last witch trial she heard Mm. what i heard when i first heard about this story you know did you know the last witch trial took place in 1944? Mm. And she went, oh, I'll go and have a look at this. And she gets hold of this file. And the first thing that falls out of it when she opens it up is a letter from Winston Churchill to his home secretary. Like, that would be worth so yeah. much I don't money. think she pocketed it. Because, you know, she mentions it in the sort of the, the, the preface to her own book. It would be a bit weird if it was like framed in her office. Like, you shouldn't have this, Nina. But yeah, it was a great read. And she, Did it, she have to hold, uh, send the records back? Well, she wasn't allowed to keep them anyway. Yeah, they all go back into archive. You're just allowed to observe them. The problem was she wasn't supposed to be able to look at them because oh, they were supposed right. to be sealed for 100 years. She paints her as a really sympathetic character. There's a mm. load of backstory to her relationship with um, her husband. Right. And the fact that her husband was weirdly jealous of Albert because Albert, if he was mean to Helen... Mm. Man, was he mean to Henry. Like, just wow. having a go at him all the time. <laughs> and he referred to their house as Albertville. Wow. Uh, because, oh, it was all paid for by Uncle Albert. And it's all Uncle Albert's money and I've got nothing to do with it. So he's quite bitter mm-hmm. about the entire thing because mm-hmm. he wasn't providing for his family. His wife was. And mm-hmm. she was doing it by, you know, lots of things, but also regularly getting naked for a bunch of upper class women. Yeah. So there you go. That is the story of Hellish Nell. Well, I did enjoy her. A lovely person. Yeah. It seems. Bless her. Mm. Hi there, it's Emma, Chief Organiser at Consistently Eccentric. Here to remind you all that if you like what you hear, you can catch up with all previous episodes and session series by searching for us on Acast, Spotify and iTunes. How fancy. You can also join us on Instagram at Consistently Eccentric Podcast, where we update on the weekly episode and post all of our bonus content for you lucky lot. See you next week.